Hello, I'm Nigella Lawson, and this is my Summer Soundbites podcast in celebration of summer cooking and eating, produced in collaboration with my publisher's Vintage. Now, I'm unapologetic about being a home cook rather than a chef. Real cooking, the sort that goes on in homes, doesn't have to be tricksy or difficult. A dish of chicken poached with leeks and carrots definitely isn't fancy. But it tastes good and feels essentially nourishing to both body and soul to cook and eat. I want you to feel that I'm there with you in the kitchen as you cook. My books are the conversations we might be having and this podcast is an extension of that. Nigella, a weekend summer lunch outside. What does this idea evoke for you? And I wondered, was there a particular time in your life when alfresco dining became a key part of your social eating? I started having lunches in the garden when my children were very small. Well, for one thing, it was the first time I had a garden. And also, when I was younger... Uh, I have to say, I kind of did nothing much at the weekend. So I'd get up later. Most of my socialising was in the evening. Once you have children, that's not really an option. And there's something wonderful about having your friends for lunch on a summer's weekend. And there are lots of small children, maybe some older children, just running about. I find that very relaxed. And I think because of that, the cooking is also relaxed. Now, I suppose my idea of the perfect lunch outside has, first of all, to include drinking rosé wine in the dappled shade. I never go for the full-on glare of the sun. I think, for me, it's easiest just to put cutlery on the table for people just to help themselves. I always believe in a bit of a DIY element, and not just because I'm lazy. I just think informality is more relaxing. I think it's quite important not to cook the sort of food that means you have to go in and out of the kitchen to the garden all the time. You don't want to be running about, at least I don't, but then I never want to be running about. And I suppose I love food that you can eat with your fingers, like picky little bits. There's a there's a recipe in Nigella Summer, which is for crispy lamb chops, although I know I should say crisp lamb chops. Jane Grigson was always very strict about how annoying it was that people said crispy, so I do feel a sense of shame. And these are just wonderful to eat. You've got the crunch of a slight Parmesan pita breadcrumb crust, and then the lamb chops are just wonderfully sort of pink and tender within. And anything, I have to say, maybe this is bad, anything that has breadcrumbs and is fried and that you can eat with your fingers, that's never a bad thing. I also like porchetta. And this is an Italian sort of rolled pork with herbs and onions and spices. And you slice this and eat it in buns. And although it might sound odd to have something like this, actually I find it much easier because the pork takes quite a long time to cook and therefore it's just in in the oven beforehand. You're not trying to get a lot of things ready at the last minute. And it slightly reminds me of strolling through Italian markets in summer. There's always a van somewhere selling these. You get a roll that's stuffed with a wadge of porchetta. Just delicious. Much better than a burger. One of the things I like as well are things to dip tortilla chips or crudite into. And I don't think this needs to be fancy. I've got something in my new book, Simply Nigella, which I call a simple salsa because it is a simple salsa. And it's made of tomatoes, a bit of onion and some jalapeno chilies. 
it's not too hot. You can really, you can make it as hot or as mild as you like. Fewer chilies or take the seeds out. I always like it quite fiery, which might sound an aggressive act if there are small children there. There's nothing to stop you having one bowl that's quite mild and one bowl that's quite fiery. But that wonderful thing of dipping and coming back, no double dipping, obviously, but I like that sort of thing. It's not really for me a starter. It's just there, great with drinks, but actually also quite a wonderful sauce alongside, say, the lamb chops or the chicken. Nigella, I wanted to ask whether there were dishes that you find yourself returning to again and again when you're entertaining people outside. Like everyone who cooks, I do tend to return again and again to certain recipes. Sometimes it's because friends of mine request a particular recipe and sometimes it's just because I think, I love this recipe, I know it works and I want to eat it again. The minute I feel that summer's in the air, it has to be my watermelon feta and black olive salad. Now, I wrote about this in Nigella Summer, which was published in 2002, but I'm still making it every year and... Well, there's no reason not to. There's just something about that juiciness of the watermelon and the saltiness of the feta. There's a few mint leaves as well. I know when I first wrote about it, it sounded a bit odd, but actually it does come in some form or another uh, from the Eastern Mediterranean. And of course, they're good at knowing about what to eat in the heat. I also really feel summer for me is about linguine with chilli crab and watercress. Now, actually, you could just as easily use rocket in place of the watercress. Um, I think that note of pepperiness, wherever it comes from, is wonderful with a slight richness of the crab. I think crab is very underrated. And these linguine are wonderfully fragrant and, well, it's summer in a bowl. One of the wonderful things about a butterfly leg of lamb, I always find, is that you can cook it in the oven or on a barbecue, which is great in summer, should you have a barbecue, but not awful if you don't. And actually, you know, I'm a terrible carver and it's very easy to slice a butterfly leg of lamb. And also it goes so far, it goes much further than a normal leg of lamb simply because you can slice it so thinly. There are so many ways I flavour a butterfly leg of lamb, which is one of the things I like about it. But I have to say I return again and again to the version that's in Nigelissima, which is with bay leaves and balsamic vinegar. A lot of garlic as well. It's always a winner. Now, Nigella, I have a terrible sweet tooth, so I'm going to have to insist that you give me some pudding to think about. You know, I have to say... When you think summer, you think ice cream, or I do. But I really love the sort of ice creams you don't need an ice cream machine for. But I return to certain no-churn ice creams as much as I'm always coming up with new ones. I always love the prettily pink no-churn pomegranate ice cream. Uh, you can scatter a few pomegranate seeds on top and then it's just beautiful. But the flavour is so good. And I know this is maybe a teeny bit camp, but that has never worried me. I'm particularly fond as well of my no-churn margarita ice cream. I like a bitter note in dessert, and this may not be right for children, but it's very good for grown-ups, which is a no-churn coffee ice cream. And I often serve this, in fact, you can do any ice cream in that, in a split brioche bun. I came across that when I was in the south of Italy, like instead of a cone or instead of out of a bowl with a spoon. So it's a bit like a sweet burger, just a dollop of ice cream in a bun. That is so good. I think... A lot of people who've got my books or watch my series know that I am a pavaholic and I'm always doing pavlovas. But I've got another version that's sort of meringue cream and fruit that 
is very laid back to eat. And it's called forgotten pudding, which I rather love that. Um, and really, you make a meringue and you then put it on a sheet pan hot oven, which you then turn off and you leave it there overnight. The one thing you mustn't do is open the oven. I have to put a post-it on the oven saying, do not open, otherwise I know I open it and then put a chicken in to roast. Uh, it's wonderfully marshmallowy. It's not got the crispness on the outside. But when you bring this sheet pan out and you just put some cream on top and whatever berries you want, it's also very easy to serve. You just put it on the table and you either cut it into squares for people or they can just cut a square for themselves as they eat. And are there any countries that have influenced you more than any others when it comes to summer cooking? I'm the sort of cook who likes to borrow from a lot of countries. And I have to say I'm not a purist and I'm not ashamed of the fact that sometimes I'll take a little bit from this country, a little bit from that country and fuse them together. But obviously I'm an English cook, so I would sometimes get the idea of a certain way of cooking something. But it is, if you like, refracted through the prism of the food I ate as a child. So my mother would always make a mint sauce, but these days I might borrow from an Italian idea, and I have to say Italy always remains one of my greatest influences. I, mean, I lived there for a bit when I was young. So I might make more of a salsa verde. In other words, herbs, capers, garlic olive oil, a spritz of lemon or a teeny bit of vinegar. But if I'm having lamb, I might major on mint. If I'm having chicken, I might major on tarragon. But the thing about tarragon is you must never major too heartily. It, it doesn't work like that. But parsley and a bit of tarragon or parsley and some mint. And maybe if I want to go uh, a bit more Southeast Asian, and Thailand is a country that has influenced me more latterly, um, I might add coriander and mint to this. So I suppose it's just about thinking of flavours from certain countries, but not, as it were, trying to turn my house or my garden into an Italian restaurant or a Thai restaurant. Now, living in the UK, we should probably talk about what to do when the weather isn't great. Uh, could we talk a bit about indoor picnics? What would you say are your picnic staples? An indoor picnic does presuppose that the weather might not be absolutely summery, but that doesn't mean you can't evoke summer in your cooking. I know a lot of people think you don't need to make your own hummus, and you don't. But I rather enjoy doing it, and it is incredibly easy. And I've started adding caramelised garlic to hummus, which gives a much sweeter, deeper flavour than raw garlic. It's so easy to do. You just take a garlic bulb, cut the top off and you see the cloves just peeking through. And I wrap this loosely in foil, though the edges are tightly sealed. And I suppose I roast this for about 45 minutes in a 220 oven, but you can also do it longer in a lower oven. And once you get into caramelised garlic, you really add it to anything. But the hummus, I would start there. I also make a slow roast lemon and garlic chicken, and that is from Nigella Summer, so 2002, but I've never stopped making it. And one of the things I love about that is as you smell the lemon and garlic and chicken emanate from the oven, you just know, and that's summer. And of course, it's very easy to make because again, anything that you just leave in the oven, um, no hands cooking, uh, the thing is, this is very low effort, maximum flavour, minimum effort. Like a lot of people, 
you know, I do love chicken. And I've got another chicken dish, which I've been cooking for many, many years, and that's zata chicken with tatouche. Chicken, again, uh, features in my Vietnamese chicken and mint salad, and that's always a favourite. And actually, you don't need to add chicken or prawns. It is rather wonderful just as a salad. I know a lot of people think that trifle is just a Christmas pudding, but actually, I love it in summer. And there's something so splendid about bringing a huge trifle to the table. And when it's summertime, I go for my raspberry and lemongrass trifle. It's always fun to play with different flavours. And also something I call my Anglo-Italian trifle, which has got blackberries and limoncello and also mascarpone in it. Surefire hit. Drink can be as important as food sometimes. And I wondered uh, with cocktails whether you had a, a favourite summer cocktail that you like to serve. I think often it makes your life easier if you have a cocktail, or at least if you have a sort of cocktail you can serve in a jug. And that's a drink you make, which I first had in the River Cafe in London, which is sweet muscat and lime. Now, sweet fizzy wine is a bit much just by itself. But if you take a bottle and add the juice of four or five limes, depending on how sharp you want it, you have this wonderfully uplifting cocktail and you just put a jug on the table and, or perhaps, let's say, more than one jug, and either pour it or let everyone else do their own drinks. But not everyone wants alcohol, and often I don't. And I make an elderflower and passion fruit cooler, and that's elderflower cordial. I mean, I get that out of a bottle, and I don't make my own. And fizzy water and passion fruit. I rather love the look of the seeds and the passion fruit, but more often I think I would strain that just because it makes it easier to drink. And anything that's easier to drink is a good thing. Nigella, you have made my heart rest there by proving that you don't have to have great weather to be able to eat great food. Well, I have to say I don't really mind the weather as long as I've got good food to eat. What are you cooking right now? Well, I'm afraid I'm not going to be entirely forthcoming. Uh, not because I'm trying to ignore your question, but simply because I'm hatching a new book. So a lot of what I'm cooking has to remain a mystery for now. And also because the wonderful thing about writing a book and beginning a new one is that you try out lots of different things. And that's what I'm doing at the moment. But that isn't to say I don't like returning to other recipes. And I've got a lot of Simply Nigella still coursing through my veins. I don't think anyway I'm ever going to stop making my lamb ribs with Nigella and cumin seeds. Now, of course, you've got to forgive me for using Nigella seeds, and I do use them quite a lot, because wouldn't you if your name were Nigella? But so many people ask me to make this when they come over, because lamb ribs are not known that much. I mean, don't make them if you don't like fat, that's all I'll say. Uh, but they are incredibly easy to make again because you just dip them in a bit of soy and garlic and nigella seeds and cumin seeds and you know that's it slow cook in the oven merguez meatballs always a favorite i do like the sort of food that you could make in advance and although i often make these afresh just as easy to make them advance and then reheat them and they're very very easy i should be embarrassed because really all i do is buy some mega sausages, those spicy lamb sausages, and I squeeze them out of their skins and roll them into meatballs, and I make the sauce really out of tomatoes and, you know, those jars of char-grilled sweet bell peppers, mm. uh, chop them up, put them in the sauce, and they ooze their sweetness in. And also, I just get them out of their jars, drain them, chop them up, you know, with scissors or pull them apart with my fingers and put them in the sauce, and it adds 
a richness and it thickens the sauce a bit. You don't need to eat these with rice or anything. A bit of bread dipped in, perfect. I also quite like, I'm borrowing from the Italian tradition, quite like a meatball sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> and I think when you hit upon a recipe that's easy to make and everyone loves, of course you're going to cook it again and again. And uh, chocolate chip cookie dough pots are a case in point. It's like biscuits or cookies, only you don't have to form them. And I cook them in little ramekins, much as I hate the word ramekin. And you can have them all squidgy in the middle and you sort of eat it with a spoon rather than crunch into it. My children always like a cookie that's really squidgy in the middle. But if you make it so desirably soft there, often when you bake it as a cookie, it can't quite hold its shape. So this way you don't need it to hold its shape. You just eat it with a spoon and the chocolate chips are beginning to melt and lose their way into the cookie dough. Now that you have whetted our appetites with those very specific dishes I wanted to take you more towards the sort of the, the philosophy of food and I wanted to ask a very simple question really but which is why you cook what is cooking about and I wondered whether there's a sort of a degree of mindfulness that you gain from the cooking that you do is that is that how you want people to feel when they're cooking there are so many reasons why I cook now of course the first one is people need to be fed we all need to eat but there's more to it than that I love the feeling of food in my hands. It makes me feel very grounded. And I also love the beauty of food. I mean, I often will put a bowl of lemons or aubergine on the table rather than flowers. But, yes, there is a degree of mindfulness. I, I know it's the kind of buzzword of the moment, so I wish I could find a different word, but I do feel that because I think in life we're so busy all the time. So to have to stand still and do something, and I don't mean anything particularly challenging or takes two hours. I mean five minutes stirring something on the stove. You can't really do anything else and you're stirring. And I always find kind of mindless, repetitive action very relaxing. But you are tethered there in the present. And I think for me, the sort of cooking, whether you're thinking about mindfulness or any other reason, is the sort of cooking that you need a certain focus, you need to pay attention, but it, it mustn't be a stressful sort of attention. It mustn't rely on split-second timing. I mean, that's, for me, always important because it's too stressful. I think, anyway, it is about taking a moment out of the rest of life, but I don't want to paint this idyllic portrait of cooking. You know, one can be quite bad-tempered and still cook. I do find that helps me unwind. I don't really think many people can cook for a dinner party, say, without feeling a teeny bit stressed, which is why I often rely on recipes I can cook in advance. And in the same way as when my children were little and they first went on to solid food, I found the easiest way to feed them was, you know, to do that thing of making purees and putting them in the freezer and then thawing them. Because, you know, if you cook for a baby with all that effort and, you know, steaming and pureeing and just you know give that start giving the spoonful to the to the baby and it spits it out if you separate the effort from the feeding it makes it much easier although i have rather strayed from your question <laughs> um part of what seems to make cooking work for a lot of people is about that combination of flavors and i wondered did it take you a long time to to trust your own palace and and allow it to bring flavors together does it sound terrible to say, no, it didn't take me very much time? <laughs> but I have cooked since I was very little. Mm. Uh, my mother was a great believer in child labour, so I've probably been cooking since I was six, and now I'm 106. Uh, but I think everyone should trust their palate. 
The easiest way to do that, in fact, the easiest way to learn how to cook is to cook for yourself. Because when you cook for other people, you get a bit stressed and then things go wrong. When you cook for yourself, you know, it doesn't really matter if things don't work out. And you understand the processes of cooking more, but you also think, actually, I've just discovered I don't like cinnamon. Um, and, you know, I know people always say about novel writing, you know, you've, you know, be personal to be universal. But obviously, not everyone has the same palate. Not everyone wants coriander. In fact, a lot of people can't bear coriander. But of course, the herb you use can be changed. And I think because so many people don't trust that palate, they feel they have to stick to a recipe completely as it is. I think when you first cook a recipe, and I'm talking about all of us here, I feel that too, you have to stick to it absolutely. And maybe even the first two times. And then later you might think, actually, I'd rather use a different spice. I'd rather have a different herb. Maybe I would like it to have a bit less lemon or a bit less lime, or maybe I want more. And I think that's what cooking is. And a recipe is often a blueprint. And I like the fact that when I write a recipe, people often say, oh, I added this and it still worked, or I added that. I think food is a conversation. And that's why I always love hearing about what people are cooking or how they've fiddled about with the recipe of mine. Mm. Now, you teased us earlier by saying that you're working on recipes for a new book. But I wondered, with all of those combinations and when you're working on recipes, what, what is the most fundamental marker that means that one of those recipes will end up in a book? There are lots of ways I work out whether a recipe will go into a book, but primarily it's about my instinct and intuition. Again, it goes back to palate. You know, I, I have to trust that. And I suppose that means I want to cook it again and again, and then I feel slightly annoyed I've got to do more recipes because I want to go back to that one. <laughs> and then I feel the same way about the next one. It doesn't mean to say I always feel that. I mean, all cooking is an experiment, and particularly so when you're playing about with new recipe ideas, then it's in the nature of experiments that some fail and it can be a bit deflating and you carry on and sometimes those mistakes lead to better recipes. So that's really how I do it. I have to cook something again and again. It's not good enough just that a recipe works. But when my children were younger, this is how I decided that I'd imagine myself at the school gates and a fellow parent would say, I'm going to cook this recipe, it could be anything, uh, tonight. And I, if I thought, oh, I'm so excited, I can't wait to hear what you think about it, it that's, this is one, I love this recipe, then that would go in. But if I imagine thinking, do you know, I don't know, maybe try another one, then I knew it shouldn't go in. It's not that I don't like the recipe, but I don't want to put a recipe in a book unless I love it so much that I, as I say, cook it again and again. Nigella, I think I might be the hungriest I've ever been after listening to all of that. But I just want to say a huge, huge thank you for sharing all of that. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I love talking about food. I love it very much. Thank you for listening to my summer sound bites. My latest cookbook, Simply Nigella, is out now. You can also find a selection of summer recipes on nigella.com. And please let me know what you're cooking this summer on Twitter using the hashtag NigellaSummer. Summer. 